Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. I'm so glad you've joined me today. This is one of those podcasts that I look forward to every year. And right now you're scratching your head and you're going, wait a minute, what is something that Anita does annually on Faith Conversations? Well, maybe you can't guess, but I'm going to tell you. Um, I love uh, specifically Advent devotionals, and I greatly appreciate Lenten devotionals. Well, obviously we're coming up on the Advent season, and I always keep my eyes wide open for a couple of Advent devotionals that I think are extra special. <laughs> and, uh, and I love to talk with the authors of these. And today that's exactly what's happening here on Faith Conversations. Across my desk came the book, Making Room in Advent, 25 Devotions for a Season of Wonder by Betty Dickinson. This is an extraordinary book. It is absolutely beautiful. And it is by Betty Dickinson, who is a marvelous artist, actually a prophetic artist and writer and speaker. And what I love, I mean, in person, you know, she invites audiences to connect with God. Um, obviously when you're at an event or somewhere where she is in person, but she does this through her writing, through her visual parables of the spiritual journey. And she does it for sure through this beautiful book, make room, making room in Advent. Got to get the title right. Making room in Advent. So I want to welcome Betty to Faith Conversations. Welcome, Betty. Thank you for having me, Anita. Well, I am always, I'm kind of enamored when I'm, whenever I'm um, enamored, I am enamored with artists. Whenever I'm in their presence, I'm like, <laughs> and I mean, artists, um, mm. visual artists, there's something about what they do that uh, is so meaningful to me. And I know meaningful to, um, you know, the broader body of Christ and the broader um audience of the world. There's something about visual arts and maybe it is because we get to see, uh, the beauty in nature. We get to recognize the fact that, uh, we're all created, um, in the image of our creator God. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm amazed at visual artists. And I'm just curious a little bit about your history before we get into the book itself. When did you start wandering down the path of art. How old were you? I'm always curious about this. Gosh, you know, probably before I can remember, <laughs> I, I do, I do remember, uh, that there were many times when I was little, my uncle Matt, who is an artist and an opera singer, and mm. he would come to visit and he would 
kind of help cultivate this gift in me and just teach me the gift of play. And I remember we would go camping together sometimes and we would look up at the trees and he would just help me to notice things, you know, you know, notice the way the sun comes through the trees and the different shades of green. And so it was very, um, yeah, at a very young age that I started exploring Mm -hmm. and, but it wasn't in second grade, my second grade teacher, um, I I used to love just writing stories and then painting pictures to go with it or drawing pictures to go with it. And my second grade teacher actually said, you know, you should consider being an author and illustrator. And so that was kind of always my dream is to be an author. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so now that this book is out, it feels like, oh my goodness, holding this book is like holding my dream in my hands. And so it's been a long journey, you know, to get here, but has been something that got planted very, very long ago in my life. So was it, did I get the name right? Was it Uncle Matt? Is that the, mm-hmm. Yes. So yep. did you have siblings, first of all? Let me ask that. Yes. I have two sisters who are okay. older than me. So did, did Uncle Matt, you know, point these things out to all of you or did he see something in you specifically that you were the one that he pointed this out to and, and helped to engage your wonder and creativity and play? You know, I think he was paying attention to all of us and our interests. And my middle sister, Mel, and I both uh, were more interested in the arts, but I think I kind of stuck with the interest maybe in different ways or longer. And so, yeah, he helped to kind of cultivate that. And actually, in college, my very last semester, I went uh, to Paris for a study abroad art history class and he came with me. So oh. it was just, it's, he's, you know, all my life, he's kind of tried to help cultivate this in me. So I've just wow. been really grateful for him seeing that in me and then calling that out. Wow. I love that. What a great story. And what a good reminder to any of us who have influence. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we use our influence in the lives of others? How are we paying attention and seeing things that we might call out in a good way in the lives of mm-hmm. others, whether that, whether that's children or um, friends, adults, people we come in contact with just in the course of a day, what do we see and notice? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's real. Oh, so I love that story for many reasons. Uh, and I also wanted to know why start with an Advent devotional? This is your first book. I'm curious about um, why this uh, specific season that you would choose to to write an Advent devotional with the beautiful illustrations? Yeah, well, you know, I think a lot of artists talk about the whole idea of sometimes our, we don't choose our art, that our art chooses us. Ah. And I definitely... <laughs> I definitely felt that way about this particular series Uh, and even just in how this piece was created was, you know, the very first painting I did was the Annunciation, which is the painting where the angel comes to Mary and says, you'll be pregnant with Jesus. And while I was working on that painting, I found out I was pregnant This is a great story too. (laughs) With my son Winston. So in so many ways, I felt that God was inviting me to enter the story. And, you know, we started the book in 2017, just a short, a short 
four-day devotional as an offering within our varsity Christian fellowship where I was working at the time. And so, you know, I just created it as a gift to our movement and to our ministry partners. So I did the four original paintings then, but then as I sat with the story, I just felt like it was not done, that there was more to be told. And I felt that these uh, characters in the story and the images kept coming to me and needed to be expressed, that there was more to unpack. There was more that was filling me with wonder and awe. And just the incarnation itself is such a mystery that we could ponder for our entire lives and never fully reach the ends of it. And so so that was, it felt like an invitation from God, both within my body, within my story, and within the art itself that was inviting me to be told in the Advent narrative. But then the devotional, you know, why a devotional? I feel that especially in the Advent season, we are so frantic and busy and crazy. And I don't know about you, Anita, but I don't usually sit down for a good long read during the Christmas <laughs> season. Yeah. It's usually a time that I need to be slowed down and to be invited into pondering and to mystery and to breathing and yes. to uh, encountering afresh the Advent story in ways that aren't overwhelming, but are inspiring. And that's what I wanted to do for my readers and viewers of the paintings is just to give them a space to be led into the presence of God in a short devotional, but in uh, in a way that would awaken them, yes. in a way that would inspire them uh, and give them space for them to just connect with God through beauty and through the art. And so that's my hope and desire for the devotional itself. I always uh, think of the Advent season just because of what's going on in the out external world. It's there's a lot of visual stimulation happening mm. in the culturally, whether it's yeah. you know um, in, in a way that we like or not. But I but I just think it's the perfect um, season, the the Advent season to not just interject or inter uh, introduce. Um, thoughtful, you know, written devotionals, but for, for the beauty of art to go along with it, because you really do uh, engage us in looking at the art, you know, in a visio divina way, uh, using that spiritual practice. I mean, you engage us, not just that these pictures are not just there. These paintings are, are not just there to look at, then turn the page and read an entry. No, you specifically, engage, it is a, an active part of the book. I guess that's mm-hmm. what I've tried to say, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which I deeply love. Um, you know, one of the things that I noticed too, and I didn't introduce you this way at the beginning, but um, you have a ministry called awakening the soul. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd love for you to say a, a word about that as well, for those who are wondering what that's about. Yeah. You know, the ministry kind of started out of a, um, a time of wrestling with God about who I am as an artist. So I think I, you know, I've been in ministry for a long time, but I think I had been trying to do ministry in spite of being an artist, Mm. instead of doing ministry as an artist. And so uh, over a sabbatical with InterVarsity, God just really invited me to say, you know, Betty, you are an artist. Mm. And this is this, this is the central piece of your true self that you need to express into the world. And so I just really began dreaming with God about what would it look like to take this seriously and to 
to create, you know, resources and experiences and journeys that would help awaken the soul through beauty and wonder. And Mm -hmm. so the target for this particular ministry is actually ministry leaders, because I think ministry leaders in particular are burnt out and exhausted and yet they're the ones that are on the front lines serving and helping to shape what the church is to become. And I think right now there's a real sense that God's doing a new thing, that we need new wineskins for the the church, that the old wineskins are bursting. And yep. so if we're going to see these new wineskins created, we need ministry leaders who are fueled by the spirit of God, who have um, are tapped into the imagination of God to envision new vistas forward that have not yet been. And in particular, uh, my narrow, narrow target is women in ministry, because I think, yeah, I think women are the ones who are going to help shape these new wineskins, because we have not heard their voices at the forefront Mm -hmm. thus far. And I think, gosh, the church has largely been built on uh, the leadership of men. So what would change if we invited women to the table and allow them to lead and shape? So I want to help them to sing the song that they're created to sing, just like Mary does in this story. So that's what Awakening the Soul is about. Yeah. And really, I mean, you just look at the front cover of your book, Making Room in Advent, and you feel invited in, speaking of, Mm -hmm. you know, being invitational to women. So uh, I want to ask about also your favorite medium. Now, I don't know, I don't even know what the kind of medium of art (laughs) that you used um, in the book, I mean, I can see that there is a, you know, similarity in style. Like I, I get that I'm using my, the few artists, you know, artistic words that I know <laughs> similarity <laughs> in style. I don't know really what I'm talking about, but what medium is this and what, what medium do you most love when you're mm-hmm. doing art? Yeah. So this is liquid acrylic and oil on clay board. So usually people don't mix liquid acrylic and oil and they tell you never to do that, but uh, (laughs) I do sometimes. So liquid acrylic, what I love about it and what I love what it does with the clay board is clay board is a really hard surface. It's actually a clay medium that I mix up with glue and water and then paint on masonite panels, sand it down so that it's smooth. And so you can actually spray water on it and let it run off the board. And when you add the acrylic, it creates this uh, watery, flowy element into the pieces that I, I just love the depth of that. So then when I put the oils over the top, the oils act like a stain and they just kind of uncover the many layers of depth in the acrylic underneath. And uh, I I love it because working with acrylic forces me to surrender. Mm. And it's a pra- it's a spiritual practice for me of mm. surrender when I'm when I'm painting and I'm creating because I never know what it's going to do and I have to let go of my own agenda of where I want the paint to go <laughs> and nice. learning how to just allow myself to be present and to pay attention in the moments where I'm creating actually helps me to slow down and to pay attention to the things unfolding in the other aspects of my life and to surrender control in those ways too. So I think I, I think God leads me in a, in a different way of seeing the world and a different way of leading and listening Mm -hmm. when I'm painting that really serves uh, the ministry that I do as well. Nice. Wow. Well, I, 
that was fascinating to hear how you created these paintings, you know, and thank you for the layman's terms, really. Uh, <laughs> they are absolutely stunning um, and so thought provoking. And I thought, well, first of all, I want to let folks know that I will have um, links to the, the book and to the things that we're talking about today in the show notes. So don't worry about that. You can head there and find um, any of those links, no matter where you listen to the podcast, uh, it'll, the, the show notes will be there, but I thought it would be uh, helpful for us to maybe talk through one of your entries, because that would give you an opportunity to let people know what is part of each entry, mm. always mm -hmm. a, a piece of art, but there are also a couple of other things that are part of it, the noticing, the pondering, the praying, and I would love for you to kind of talk us through this. What's, uh, what's an entry that, um, that's maybe a favorite of yours that you'd like to talk about. Yeah. Well, it's hard to choose because I think they all uh, have a special meaning to me, but as I Kinda was like praying kids, today, right? yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> the one that stood out to me today was making room for mystery. And just so you know, uh, listeners, each of these entries in the book is based on the birth narrative in Luke one to two. So there's a painting at the start and then there's a, a, a few verses getting into the story in Luke. And then I unpack that in some written reflections. And then there's a question at the end and a breath prayer. But the thing that resonated with me about this is in essence, making room for mystery sets up the questions that both Zechariah and Mary ask the angel Gabriel. So the angel Gabriel appears to both of them announcing this good news with Zechariah He's going to have John the Baptist, the Messiah is coming with Mary. She's going to be pregnant with the Messiah. And yet they respond and their question sounds very similar, but it's actually very different if you dive deep into it. And so, you know, Zechariah responds, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. So how can I be sure? Mary responds, how will this be? since I'm a virgin. Now, both of them focus on their physical limitations. Zechariah's old, Mary's a virgin, but yet what sets them apart is how they, uh, their posture in their questions. So I, I talk about a little bit how Zechariah's question is sort of the typical age of enlightenment. I want certainty and proof, you know, like, yeah, how can yeah. I be sure I'm looking at my limitations and seeing, you know, I need proof to know that this is something that God can do. Yes. Instead, Mary looks at her limitations saying, you know, I'm a virgin. How can this be? And what she does is she leans in to ask a contemplative question. She's not saying, I don't believe God can do this. She's saying, how? Yeah. She's, she's like, like a asking, wondering, a wondering. It is. It's an right? awe, it's wonder, it's curiosity, it's contemplative. And it's asking almost like, God, how does the door to heaven get open to this earth? Show me how this happens. And God is delighted to answer that kind of question. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting, Luke in his gospel, he sets up these contrasts of different people throughout the, the narrative of people that you wouldn't expect. And so you see Zechariah, who is a priest, you know, who's in the temple, you would expect that he would be the one to kind of get it and right. resonate with, okay, you know, of course, I'm in the temple, I should expect to encounter God's presence here. You know, I'm a priest, I should know what to do with this. And yet you see him kind of miss it. 
But yet Mary, who's this marginalized, lowly woman who would have had no kind of social status at the time, would have been pretty ostracized as a woman and as a as a virgin, you know, really didn't have any property rights either. Right. God comes to her and her story, she is elevated in the story, which Luke does throughout all of the gospel is, is bringing to the surface, the lowly, the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, and helping us see how we see the beauty and the wonder and the mystery of God through them and how their story leads us into greater awe and awareness of who God is. And so I think especially in the Advent season and in this time of wrestling, when God is doing a new thing in our midst, Mm -hmm. I think the question um, that we can be invited to ask is how will this be? Like leaning into what is God doing right now? How, what is the promise that he's bringing in this time? And rather than saying, how can I be sure that it's going to happen? Or how can I kind of control the situation like Zechariah or approaching it with a level of pride that we kind of we have to be able to rationalize and understand yes. it conceptually saying, mm-hmm. I know that I will never understand, mm-hmm. but God help me understand mm-hmm. and help me to know and to see your presence and to be aware of where you want to come into this world in ways that are beyond my understanding. And I think that's the posture that I want to invite us into during Advent is to be open and aware of where God is at work. Well, and I find it interesting that one of the questions that you pose at the end of this particular entry is one that makes us look at ourselves. Mm. Who are we? You know, who am I? Am I someone who desires certainty or am I someone who leans into mystery? What mm-hmm. has been my pattern in the past? And with God's help, maybe I can change that pattern to lean into mystery. I mean, I love that you posed it that way too. That's very personal. Mm-hmm. And then what, what's the breath prayer that you leave us with in this entry? Yeah. So the breath prayer is as we inhale, we inhale and pray the words, you are beyond my understanding mm. and exhale, open my heart to mystery. Ah. So if we want to just practice that right now, yeah. go ahead and inhale. Yeah. You are beyond my understanding. Hold at the top and exhale. Open my heart to mystery. One more time. Inhale. Inhale. You are beyond my understanding. Hold at the top and exhale. Open my heart to mystery. Wow. Well, Betty Dickinson, I am a big fan of Making Room in Advent. <laughs> it is an absolutely beautiful book, but uh, but beyond that, I mean, it's so thought-provoking anymore. I don't want to open the cover of any book if I'm not asked some good questions, if, mm. it, if I'm not caused to ponder, and um, if a spiritual practice is added in all the better, which you also <laughs> have done. So mm. it's so thoughtful, um, along with being extremely beautiful. Well, we have a special gift, not we, you do, Betty, but you have a special offering for folks because this is a podcast. We're not looking at video and, but you have an audio guided Visio Divina uh, to offer to people. I'll put the info in the show notes, but just say a quick word about that and how they can access it. 
Yeah, so it's of the painting, the Magnificat. So you'll get an image of the painting and then the audio guide to go with it to kind of lead you into the presence of God. And I just find in this busy season, we need to be just led <laughs> into the presence of God. So yeah, if you if you text the word justice to 33777, it'll send you a text prompt, get your name and email. And then when you send that information, I'll send it right to your inbox so oh, you can be guided into God's presence. I love that you're doing that. I'm so grateful for that. And then folks will see one of the beautiful pieces of art and they'll have mm -hmm. a good idea, obviously, of what the rest of the book um, is like in that through that experience. So thank you for offering this. I think it's just tremendous. Oh, thanks Absolutely. again for being with me. Appreciate it. Yeah. My second guest today on Faith Conversations is Joanna Herriter, and I am thrilled to be able to highlight uh, two marvelous Advent devotionals, and Joanna has written Expecting Emmanuel, Eight Women Who Prepared the Way. Uh, this came across my desk um, from my good friends at Herald Press, and they put out some tremendous materials um, you know, I'm fans of InterVarsity Press as well. And uh, Betty Dickinson, my first guest, is published by InterVarsity. Well, Herald Press also has a great tradition and uh, wonderful offerings out into the world. And Expecting Emmanuel is one of those. I will have all of the information in the show notes. But let me um, say hello to Joanna Herriter. And sometimes I do this, Joanna. I ask my guests... Um, because podcasts are so much less formal than when I used to do live radio and you had to do the big intro. How would you like to be introduced? When someone says, Joanna, tell us about yourself. What do you say? <laughs> oh, that seems like the most stressful part of it all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but I say I, I serve as pastor at Peace Mennonite Church in Lawrence, Kansas, mother to three children who are uh, out of the house, but not out from under my maternal care. <laughs> yep. <laughs> totally get that. Oh, that's great. And author. That and is, author. That's one of your new monikers, right? So, yes. hey, this is your first book. I'm, I'm always interested in finding out from first time authors, you know, why a particular topic or subject and, you know, why now? And for you, it's, it's Advent. Why an Advent devotional as your first uh, book out into the world? Well, I have been a liturgical writer as a pastor for a long time. I tend to think in terms of church seasons and the liturgical year. I did a sermon series on the women of Jesus genealogy way back, probably 15 years ago when I was first starting as a pastor. And that's always stuck with me as something that I, I loved and would want to revisit. And I'm the type of person who loves the idea of using a devotional. And a lot of times I get one and I start it and it's boring and I quit. <laughs> or uh, boring might not be fair, but I, I like... I like to be real with the biblical text and dig deep and um, some devotionals are more surface level. So I wanted to write the kind of devotional that I would be happy to accompany me through the season. Well, I'm here to tell you, it's the kind of devotional that I am very happy to have accompanying me through, through the season, uh, in part because you're, um, 
an excellent writer and a brilliant question asker. And I like when people ask questions of scriptures, scripture mm-hmm. and of, of me, the reader that gets me to pause and stop and have to contemplate and wrestle. And maybe I'm challenged a little, you know, I don't think that happens enough in the context of our, our churches, really. Um, sometimes we're afraid to ask some challenging questions and wow, uh, Jesus was the great question asker, right? He wasn't afraid. Definitely. <laughs> right. For sure. <laughs> so I, I love that. That's part of you. Where, where does that come from in you? Well, I, I'm curious. I, I did teach freshman college English for a few years. <laughs> okay. So being a, an English student and an English teacher, um, and part of it's just my nature. I, I wonder if that's why some of these women are neglected in our churches, because I don't think you can really present their stories in any kind of faithful way without bringing up some pretty hard questions. Uh, amen to that. I agree. And also, so I grew up in conservative evangelical circles where majority, it's a space where I'm, I am not currently in, in that, those same circles, but um, I grew up always hearing um, male preachers. And so often you're hearing some of the male, the stories of men in scripture. And uh, I remember years ago, a book called The Feminine Soul came across my desk um, by a woman named Janet Davis. And my, I, I, my eyes popped out. I started weeping as I read the introduction, mm-hmm. just the thought that, wait a minute, wait a minute, someone's speaking to me. And, and I think there have been some tremendous female biblical characters that have been really lost and buried. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I, when I saw that you were writing about eight women who prepared the way, I knew I had to take a look at expecting Emmanuel. Um, So I so appreciate that and appreciate your sensitivity to that, which makes sense as a female preacher, pastor, right? (laughs) So what, what women, tell us about the women you have decided, and some of them will probably go, oh yeah, of course I expected that, but maybe some others we might not have expected. So who, who is in expecting Emmanuel? So the heart of the book is focused on the women that are listed in Jeannie's Jesus genealogy in the gospel of Matthew, which I think is a miracle in and of itself that their names are included. Luke's gospel doesn't include any of the women's names. Um, So those would be Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. And of course, Mary um, are the, and for each of those women, we go through the biblical, their biblical stories and have reflections on different pieces of their stories. And then to get us through um, up to Epiphany, because I love the liturgical seasons, <laughs> um, I, I look at just three, at the prophet Anna, um, who, who welcomes Jesus and blesses the family, at the weeping mothers um, from Matthew's gospel, also when Herod orders the slaughter of the, the young boys, and then the figure of uh, Sophia from Proverbs and then from the prologue to John's gospel, the Logos Sophia. Ah, okay. Thank you. I, I will. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, 
I, I love that. I don't think I've ever ha- had the weeping mothers represented mm-hmm. in an Advent devotional. And I, I really appreciate that. I think the other thing, as I was looking at these names, I thought, yeah, right. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and of course, Mary. I mean, that not a surprise. Um, I suppose you could have nabbed Elizabeth in there, you know, that, mm-hmm. but, but when I looked at these, but you specifically were going for the genealogy, which I right. like, but I looked at the names and again, was reminded, wow, none of these have any kind of a common story. None of these women, Mary included, but you, you just look at the names and you start thinking about the stories represented. You even said in the introduction to, uh, I'm trying to find where it is, but to, to pay attention, there might be some, some scenes or some reading in here that could even trigger some things, some questions posed, right? Well, I don't know exactly what you said, but say a word about that. I appreciate that. There's actually quite a bit of sexualized violence and coercion. We had a sensitivity reader look over the book for that purpose to make sure that um, I was handling that in a way that would feel respectful to to folks who've experienced such things. They're hard. um, Mm -hmm. Some of them are very hard stories, Bathsheba's in particular, but really they they, they all bring up questions about sex, about our bodies, and particularly female bodies in the world. And those are things we tend to not want to talk about a lot in church, but it's a huge part of our lives and something I think is important for us to consider from a biblical perspective and a faith perspective. And I think that our bodies have been greatly ignored in general in Mm -hmm. that church and faith context, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I think I've said this before on the podcast. I feel like I've been a disembodied head walking around in the world. (laughs) Lots of things up in my brain. (laughs) And if there's, I mean, there's no better time to, to think about what it means to be in our bodies as people of faith than Christmas, when we're celebrating the incarnation and what does it mean for God to be in a body on our behalf and what does that mean for how we inhabit our bodies and treat other bodies in the world yeah i love that that you're 100 right um also i haven't mentioned this yet but but you have um an illustrator who has joined you in the book and so before each new uh character is um, given there's a, a little piece of artwork. I actually am looking at it thinking I can see myself like sitting there and doodling and coloring that in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, but then you also have something, uh, for each character, you have a blessing and, and so, and there's a piece of, um, of artwork for that as well. Um, that's not, I, you know, I don't know my art terms. Um, I, the, the first half of the podcast, Betty Dickinson knows that full well yeah. <laughs> I don't know the terms. Um, but the illustrator, she's not a, she's not rep- doing representative art. Right. Right. Thank yeah. You. The, the artist is Michelle Burkholder and they do paper cutouts. Okay. So each of those pieces was created by cutting Thank into you. a black piece of paper and and I sent Michelle the words for the blessings and then Michelle created the art based on cool. those. 
So yeah. I think that that their work adds a lot to to the book and especially um, those blessings that come at the end of each section for each of the women. Um, why, what got you thinking about giving a blessing at the end of each of these women? How, how, why did you do that? Well, I'm a poet at heart and that's the kind of writing I love to do. I feel like these women, the blessings are written in the voices of the women. Ah, okay. And I feel like these women have a blessing to offer to us today and a blessing that maybe are some different kinds of blessings than what we expect to find in scripture. But it was, um, it was a really, I, I feel like I wrestled, you know, Jacob wrestling, like yeah. I wrestled with the stories and came out with the blessing. And um, I have to tell you, Bathsheba swears a lot. And I had to tone <laughs> her language down a little bit for the book. There are no swear words in the book, but her original blessing was a little spicy. <laughs> you know what? That's so interesting. And, and, you know, if, as you will read through um, the entries, you know, uh, Bathsheba's entries in Expecting Emmanuel, um, you probably would look at that and go, yeah, for, and for good reason, if you know the biblical story at all, and for good reason, I'm glad you told us that, you know, and I get that that was cha changed, toned down. I understand Christian publisher, I understand the whole world of Christian publishing, but I'm, I'm really glad to know that. Um, because I know sometimes when I encounter various stories or pieces of my own story, I think, wow. I'm not sure I have the language for this right. language I want to use is maybe not for prime time or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Um, where I would love to, to take a look at a couple of entries to give people an idea um, of what an entry looks like, number one, and also to have you talk about how you start and how you end each, each entry. So who, who do you want to look at? Um, well, you had mentioned Tamar. That's where yeah, we begin. Right. Yeah, let's. Okay. I, and I, I love you have a kind of an introductory, um, entry about just women prepare the way, just talking about the women in the genealogy that's mm -hmm. in Matthew. So that the very first entry is about women that prepare the way. Then we move into Tamar. Tamar grieves and I'm reading that and I'm reading, and then I come to Tamar Waits mm -hmm. and I, I get to the end of that entry. And um, first, let me have you talk about how, how this is formatted. And then I'll maybe mention what really stuck out to me. Okay. So one of the things that may be different from some more traditional devotionals is that there are not little small like scripture blurbs there these are the whole stories of these women and divided into a certain number of readings so the full biblical text is not in here but there is the um the references the there. reference of what to read which part of the story to read and then I have yes. a reflection on that piece of the story and following the reflection is a section on connect that is suggests a spiritual practice in a very with a very broad understanding of spiritual practices. Some of yeah. them are more prayer. Some of them are conversations or creating art or some, but a way to connect with the story, with yourself, with people around you, with God. And then there's consider, which is the more sort of traditional 
journaling questions or if you're using it with a small group discussion questions. Um, so that that's how each individual entry is laid out. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Tamar Waits. And of course, this is a hard story. Mm-hmm. And we know, you know, that ta- uh, uh, what's to, who's Tamar's first husband that dies? Um, so many of them die. I it, yeah, they're like, they're all, they, they drop like flies, right? Um, yeah. Uh, and, and so she waits because in that culture you wait, uh, or, or a brother is supposed to take you in, right? Right. So she marries the first two brothers and they both die. And then she's waiting for the third one to To, be of age to grow up. Yeah, exactly. Like this young kid, basically waiting for him to grow up and talk about waiting because you're nothing in that culture, in biblical culture, those times, if you're a widow, uh, you're nothing, uh, until marriage because you know then you have some means you have she had no sons she had no children there you go that Mm -hmm. that was the whole point that's one of the big points of of Tamar right no children no um, that could take care of her and and so that's why this story also gets kind of dicey because (laughs) you know that she marries these um comes to the next brother and the next, and she doesn't get pregnant with them, some by their choice and some not. I mean, just very, you'll read it. <laughs> I'm here you'll read it. But then we get to the, the connect part. And I really appreciate that you have um, a broad definition of spiritual practices and that there are a ton of different practices offered in the book. Um, I can tell that's maybe one of your loves and strong suits. And so it's something that I dearly love as well, but some, something that's, you know, simple, um, you know, we know Isaiah 40, 31, right. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And you just suggest on a piece of paper or cardstock, place the paper somewhere, write that on, on a, on a piece of cardstock and place that paper somewhere that you'll see it each day. And be reminded that you are called to wait for God and to use your strength. And then we get to consider. And these questions, I already said it, but they're questions that, you know, you do need a journal for, I think. Um, What has been the hardest season of waiting in your life? I know I'd like to sit around with a group of women and hear the answers to that, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I want to know what, what has been the hardest season of waiting in your life? I want to know because maybe it will encourage me in a current season of waiting, or maybe I'll realize, wow, I wasn't alone in a past season of waiting, right. you know, and then what are you waiting for right now? And maybe you'll sit there and you'll go, ah, oh, nothing. And all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and you go, oh Yeah. Oh, I I am waiting for something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sometimes we don't know, Joanna, until someone asks the question, right? Mm -hmm. Or someone else's story brings it up in us. I I love that. So, okay. So those are two questions. And then whom are you waiting for right now? Hmm. Eh, No one. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. That's not true either. Um, And then is your waiting part of a natural, healthy rhythm, or is it a time of being stuck? Oh, maybe. If you are stuck, what steps could you take to get unstuck? I mean, you really talk us through 
um, some powerful questions, any of which we could just sit with singly and spend some good time. And maybe you read through the list and you go, okay, these two, I'm going to sit with these two. Uh, I just love it. They're incredibly thoughtful. And um, yeah, so I just, I wanted to raise Tamar because I think I came across just that entry and I thought, all right, that already stopped me in my tracks. Uh, And I wanted to give that example. Um, And I think uh, let's flip over to toward, toward the end. um, You have the weeping mothers, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, I've got to find this. Maybe you can give me a page number if you come to yeah, it. Yeah. Um, uh, 135. Thank you very much. January 3rd. And, and I also love that you do take us beyond Christmas into to Epiphany. I re- really do appreciate that. So there's this, you know, helpful, well-written entry. And then connect. Why don't you read that for us? The connect. Yeah, the connect. Think about who has wept for you over the years. Who has shown you a deep mothering love? Write a note of gratitude to one of these mothering figures or maybe a poem about your experience of their love. If they are living, consider sending them what you wrote. I love that. I mean, how thoughtful. It's, you know, we might sit there and, have an idea or two, but I have a feeling it wouldn't go to the depth of what it is that, that you ask, that you suggest. And it gives us a chance to, to ponder that and think, okay, what, what do I want to do here? I don't have to do all of these. Right. That exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's the intent is, is that there will be some of the, the connect practices, the questions that will really resonate, that will be helpful. There may be one that, that someone would do early and they love it. You mentioned Lectio Divina with the earlier devotional. That's also a practice suggested here with some of Michelle's artwork. And that may be what you love. And you may just do that practice every time, or, you know, you may find one that you want to return to. And that, and that's also good. Some people may really love journaling. Other people may want to have discussion partners with the questions. I love, you know, you go on in, in this particular one to consider how are children suffering in your community and in the broader world today? I mean, talk about a discussion starter, right? Mm-hmm. And other possible questions you could sit with. What suffering causes your heart to wail? What injustice do you most lament? Is God calling you to take any action, large or small, to care for these children and address the systems that cause their suffering? Just really good things to ponder and to discuss. And I, I already said this at the beginning, but I, yeah, I would love to sit around the group of women and talk about these questions, whatever question that, that grabs you. And again, I appreciate that you said, you know, you don't have to answer them all, but there's something there, you know, what is the Holy spirit nudging you toward what question maybe, um, are you being nudged toward what's your favorite blessing? Actually, actually, I'm thinking of, uh, well, I'm just sitting here looking at the blessing of the weeping mothers. I don't know. Do you have, a, a, 
I don't know if you have a, a favorite one or not, but I, I wondered if you might wrap up our time by reading this one. I sure. thought that might be, I always like hearing the, <laughs> the author's voice reading. Blessing. This is a blessing and the voice of the weeping mothers. Dear child, I weep for each spiritual wound you hold, for every physical harm you bear, for all that threatens your safety and diminishes the fullness of your life. My tears flow from my love, love for the sweetness and the fierceness of your soul, love for the beauty of your strong and fragile body, love for that place of tender vulnerability you work so hard to protect. I trust there are others to offer you blessings with laughter and light. I hold out to you another blessing. I hold out to you with wailing and tears, a mother's blessing, bird from deepest love. In this precious and complicated life, may you know your worth, use your voice, welcome your tears and find your people. May you be fierce in the face of injustice and gentle always with yourself. That's powerful. Good stuff. I am delighted you could join me today. The name of the Advent devotional is Expecting Emmanuel, Eight Women Who Prepared the Way. And Joanna Herriter, you have done a tremendous job with this book. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Anita. It's been a pleasure to be on. And to everyone, as always, I say keep the conversation going. <laughs>